0: Luke 12, verses 1 through 7. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be broken. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more than they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Pray with me, please. Dear God. Thank you for your amazing power and work in our lives. Thank you for your goodness and for your blessings over us. Thank you for your great love and care. Thank you for your sacrifice so that we may have freedom and life. Forgive us for when we don't thank you enough for who you are, for all that you do and for all that you have given. Help us to set our eyes and our hearts on you in our pastor's wise teachings today. Renew our spirits Fill us with your joy and peace. We love you and we need you this day and every day. We give you praise and thanks for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name I pray, who is my Lord and who is my Savior. Amen.
1: Thank you, brother. Keep your Bibles open, Luke 12, uh, 1 through 7. So fear is the theme of this passage at the beginning of chapter 12 of Luke's gospel. Uh, If you have your Bibles open, you can see that Fairly clearly, especially in verses four through seven. Now, if you look at those verses, the word fear is there five different times in those four verses. Our passage deals with the fears of disciples. And Jesus points out fears we should have and fears we shouldn't have. Fear has been something that has been on the minds of many um, in this past year different fears for different things. More recently, there have been many who have greatly feared what might happen to our livelihoods now that there is a new administration in the White House. Before that, there was the great fear of what might happen in the election. Prior to that, throughout the summer, there was the fear of what was happening to our country because of the many protests and riots that were going on in our nation's cities. And of course, overshadowing all of those fears were the fears related to the virus. In light of all that, uh, what was going on in our nation in this past year, there was one particular fear that was evident in light of each of those major cultural events that we experienced. But this was a fear that wasn't talked about as much nor did I observe many people admitting to it, but it was definitely evident. I'm referring to the fear of what others will think of us if we don't follow all the health and safety protocols or if we send our kids to school, maybe with a cough or a, 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 a runny nose or depending upon the political views of the people in your social circles, maybe you are afraid to be caught not wearing a mask in those circles. But in in other circles of people, you were afraid of what they would think if you did wear a mask. So in, in the midst of the outcry over racial injustice early last summer, many people felt a lot of social pressure if they are on social media, to make a statement on where they stood on those social issues And, of course, many were afraid of of saying the wrong thing, of the response that they might get for what they say, or some were afraid of what others would think of them if they didn't say anything at all. So there's definitely something that has been revealed this past year, and it is how dominating a concern the fear of man is for so many in our society. The coronavirus is bad but the fear of man is an even greater plague that we have lived with for far too long. So we'll consider that plague both today and next Sunday as Luke's gospel has brought us to a section where the Lord Jesus addresses it in his teaching, particularly in preparing his disciples for persecution and facing hostility for identifying themselves with Jesus. And friends, in the time that we are living in, We ought to prepare ourselves for greater and greater social pressure to be put on us to keep quiet or to totally reject biblical teaching. So Jesus is helping us to prepare for that here in this text. So our main theme for these verses, verses 1 through 7, chapter 12, is that when we truly fear God, we will be set free from the fear of man. When we truly fear God, we will be set free from the fear of man. Uh, three sections here, verse, the first section is verses 1 through 3, and the heading over that is, Beware, hypocrisy is a real danger for the religious. So verses 1 through 3 again, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. So the opening phrase of chapter 12 points us back. In the meantime, it points us back to the end of chapter 11, where we were, where we were back in November. The last time that we were in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus was invited here into the home of a Pharisee, and at that dinner, Jesus began to challenge the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, how they cared so much about their outward acts, and yet inwardly, in their hearts, their hearts were very cold to God and to others. They may have have looked to others like they loved the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, but Jesus revealed that in reality they were just going through the motions to look like they were following God's laws because they loved the recognition that it won them uh, that that, that it, it won for them from others. They had they were living for Jesus says the praise of men rather than truly seeking to please the Lord. These were strong words at a at a dinner party from the Lord Jesus. And then we're told at the end of that section, in verses 53 and 54, that as Jesus left the home of the Pharisee, that they, along with the scribes, began in earnest to try to trip him up, to catch him in something that he might say, so they could use it in order to turn the crowds against him. That was their goal, to turn the crowds against him, kind of like media members are constantly trying to do uh, to the more conservative Politicians trying to, to turn people against them, trip them up in things that they might say. So we see in, in, in verse 1 here of chapter 12 just why the Pharisees were so concerned about Jesus. He was growing more and more popular among the people. It says here, so many thousands of the people had gathered together, they were trampling one another. So it is within that context then that Jesus turns to his disciples and begins to teach them with a warning. Beware, he says. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus refers to the sin of hypocrisy that was so prevalent in the Pharisees as leaven. Leaven, or yeast, is the substance inbred dough that causes the dough to rise and expand. I know that that my children have seen this happen in our house when Greta will set a pan out and put these little unimpressive balls of dough in the cups in the pan and then cover it with saran wrap and then set it out on the stove early in the morning before church. Then after the worship service when we all finally get back into our house and we walk into the kitchen, we'll look over at the stove and we can't help but notice that these little tiny balls of dough have expanded into these great, big, huge dinner rolls that that poor saran wrap can barely contain within it. How does that happen? How do those dinner rolls rise like that? What's well, it's the leaven. It's the, the yeast in the dough that, that makes it rise, the, 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 the leaven that works th- its way through the entire bread dough, causing it to expand and rise up. So Jesus is saying here, hypocrisy is like leaven. Hypocrisy is like leaven. And the word that, that he uses here for hypocrisy in the original language in the Bible is the word for the mask. It's a mask of a play actor. It's a word for pretending to be someone that you're not. So both leaven, then, and hypocrisy create false impressions for us. Leaven and hypocrisy create false impressions for us. Leaven makes bread dough look really big when in actuality it's mostly air. There isn't much substance there. And religious hypocrisy makes someone seem to be close to the Lord and a faithful example to follow, but in reality, there isn't much substance to that person's faith. God is not dwelling within that, that person and empowering them. They really don't have a close, relationship, a close relationship with the Lord, even though they might put on a good act like they do. So Jesus is warning his disciples, and us. That hypocrisy is something that we may not even notice is a part of our lives. It'll start small, but eventually it will work its way through our hearts and it will take over our, our whole demeanor. We will all be tempted to hypocrisy because we all have within us this desire to look good in front of others, this desire to impress others. We just... We are just like the Pharisees of Jesus of that day. We have this desire to be seen, to be noticed, to be honored and respected. And here were these disciples surrounded by thousands of people. And Jesus warns them, beware of this. Beware of this. He then goes on to give his solution to hypocrisy in verses 2 and 3. This, Jesus says will cure your temptation to lead a double life to impress others. This is why hypocrisy just will not work in the long run. Look back at verse 2 and 3. He says, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Hypocrisy depends upon the notion that we can hide the truth about ourselves. But hypocrisy will not work because you just won't be able to hide who you really are for very long. Sooner or later, it's going to be revealed. We like to divide our lives between public and private, don't we? This is my public life, and this is my private life. But there are no such divisions with God. He knows. He sees. He hears. And he will reveal who we really are. Definitely on the day of judgment, but but, but quite often, the Lord will reveal who we really are long before that when we least expect it to happen in this life? I mean, how many pastors, popular Christian teachers, who had thousands listening to them and buying up their books, have been exposed as hypocrites, as saying one thing, but then living a completely different life outside of the public eye? Friends, no matter what our lips may say, the Lord knows what our hearts love. Whatever others may see us do when we know their eyes are on us, the Lord knows all our deeds when we think no one else is watching. If we would more consistently remind ourselves of this truth, it would become a powerful remedy to the leaven of the Pharisees that threatens to spread into our hearts. Secondly, verses 4 and 5, what Jesus wants us to see is fear God and you won't need to fear man. Fear God, and you won't need to fear man. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. hypocrisy is often manifested because of our fear of man our fear of what others may think of us the fear of man keeps us from doing the things that we know we ought to do the fear of man keeps us from saying the things that we know we ought to say the things even that we believe would would help others to be transformed by the grace of god and jesus focuses on the worst that man could do to us. The the very worst that our enemies could do to us is kill us. But after killing us, they have nothing more that they can do. That is, they they really become quite helpless. He is referring, of course, to to the very real threats that, that his disciples would face in the coming years. They would all be arrested They would all be accused of crimes, and the the historical record uh, tells us that 10 of the 11 remaining disciples would end up being put to death, being killed by authorities because of their devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the other, the Apostle John, would be imprisoned for most of his final years before his death. So this was a real threat to them, as it is to so many Persecuted believers living in nations today which are seriously hostile towards Christianity. But I recognize that for most of you, this really isn't that big of a threat. But what is most certainly a threat for us is not what others may do to our bodies, but what others may do to our reputations. What others may think about us or say about us, that's what makes us afraid. That's what what keeps us from sharing our faith in Christ or sharing what the Bible says about homosexuality or the transgender fad. The fear of man is a big deal for us. J.C. Ryle said to his congregation in the late 1800s, he said, the fear of man is one of the greatest obstacles which stand between the soul and heaven. The remedy that that Jesus prescribes for for the fear of man here in verse 5 is what we're going to look at next. But I will warn you whom to fear, Jesus says. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. The remedy for our fear of man, Jesus says, is the fear of God. Jesus re- reveals the foolishness of fearing others more than God. They can only kill you. They can only, only, only kill our bodies. Rather, we ought to fear God far more than we fear others. For God has both the authority to put us to death and then to cast us into hell. That is into eternal conscious torment suffering his just wrath against our sin and unbelief that is the incredible authority that God has and what he can do and will do if we don't fear him rightly so one one thing that is clear to us from this verse so clear that we are in danger of overlooking it is that Jesus assumes there is life beyond the grave And that there is a time coming when you will face God in judgment. That's what he's assuming here. That's what the the disciples assumed. That's what most of the people that Jesus was talking to assumed. Not what people assume today. What you do with God in the here and now, how you respond to hearing God's word in this life will have a direct effect on the next life, on how the next life will go for you and also how the day of judgment will go for you when you stand before God. So let's be real clear. Jesus doesn't assume that everyone will just be welcomed into heaven when they die. Like the majority of our neighbors believe today. Jesus says that there is a hell reserved for all those who don't live their lives in the fear of the Lord. And that there is one person who has the authority to cast into hell, and it isn't us. We don't get to decide that. It is God Almighty. Hebrews 9, 27 says, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And Jesus is telling us here, It is a good idea for us to fear the one who will judge us, to take him and his words very seriously. In a, a sermon I heard on the fear of the Lord once, I can't remember who the preacher was, but he gave me this very helpful way to understand just what the fear of the Lord looks like in the life of a believer. We, we hear the fear of the Lord a lot. Not all of us really understand, what does it mean to fear the Lord? What does it mean to live in such a way that I'm fearing the Lord? Well, here's, uh, I thought, a very helpful way um, to uh, describe what it means for a believer to live in the fear of the Lord. He, he said, considering all of the Bible's teaching on the fear of the Lord, that it comes down to to, to three T's. Trusting, trembling, and transformation. Trusting, trembling, and transformation. Living in the fear of the Lord. So when someone hears the, 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 the word of God and believes it, trusting, when you take what it says seriously, when you know in your heart that your, your greatest problem in life is that you are a sinner, for that's what the Word of God says, and that God is a holy, righteous judge who will hold you accountable for your sin, then you are walking in the fear of the Lord. You're trusting what God's Word actually says. One of the most striking examples of this for me is, is 2 Kings chapter 22, when uh, Judah was under the reign of King Josiah. So following the reigns of two evil and idolatrous kings, Manasseh and Amon, Josiah began to have the temple repaired. And in the process of the temple being repaired, the high priest at the time, Hilkiah, found the book of the Lord. And, and it says he passed it on to King Josiah's secretary, who, who read it. And he immediately knew that this was a book that King Josiah ought to know about. He ought to hear what this this has to say. So he brought it to the the king and read it out loud to him. Now the book was most likely the book of Deuteronomy. And when King Josiah heard the word of God from Deuteronomy read to him, we are told in 2 Kings 22 that he tore his clothes. He heard God's word from Deuteronomy read to him and he tore his clothes. Closed. That that is, he was utterly shocked and dismayed and very grieved. For he had heard, probably for the first time, the word of God. And and Josiah realized that, that all of Judah, all of his people, were in big trouble with God. For they had to be under God's condemnation for they had not been paying any attention to what God's law said. They had not been taking God's word seriously at all. The fear of the Lord was evident in King Josiah here, for he took God's word seriously, he trusted that what it said was true, and he then trembled before the Lord, tearing his clothes, for he recognized that they were under God's judgment. And then the fear of the Lord led to a great transformation for Josiah and the people of Judah. We read about it there in 2 Kings 22 verse 13 Josiah said to his servants go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found for great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. And this then led to sweeping reforms for God's people under Josiah, including restoring the celebration of Passover, which had not been remembered for several generations. So the fear of the Lord in the life of a believer looks like one who trusts that God's word is true, that it will all come to pass, And that there is a God whom we will all face one day. And so there's trembling in the believer's heart because of this reality. For the believer recognizes that because of his guilt, that he stands condemned before this God. But because the believer trusts in God's word, particularly his gospel promises, there is transformation. He changes his behavior. He changes the way he treats others. He changes how he talks about others because of his fear of the Lord. Not to earn God's favor, but because he has been empowered now by the Holy Spirit, he wants to honor the one who saved him through sending his son to the cross. That's the transformation that comes. A life is changed. A life is transformed by the fear of the Lord. So does that describe your life? Are you living according to the fear of God? Do you take what he says seriously? Has your life been transformed by what you have read in God's word? And lastly, verses 6 and 7 here, we need not fear for our lives when they are in God's sovereign hands. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. So Jesus offers us another solid reason for why we need not fear those who kill the body, and that is because our lives are not in their hands, they are in God's sovereign hands. Ultimately, he has authority over our lives. Ultimately, he is the one who has appointed the day of our death, as Hebrews 9, 27 said. If a tiny sparrow, the cheapest animal that you could purchase at the local market at the time for two of the lowest valued coins, if two sparrows are not forgotten but by God, then certainly we who have put our faith in him, we who are made in his image, we whom he loves won't be forgotten by God either remember now what we just heard from verses 4 and 5 Jesus clearly established there that God is the one that they ought they ought to fear both in life and death for he has the final say where they will spend eternity but then immediately in verses 6 and 7 what does Jesus do he then reminds them of the tenderness and compassion of God the Father towards them. The same God who will be their judge, whom they ought to fear, is also the one who loves them and watches over them so closely that he knows how many hairs fell out of your head when you took your shower this morning. According to Jesus, there is no contradiction between the love of God and the justice of God. There is no contest in Jesus' mind between God the Father who loves us and God the final judge. He's not either or, he, he, He's both. It's both and. He is the God who will justly punish sin. You will either have your sins punished by being condemned to hell for all eternity or your sins were already condemned and punished on the cross of Christ when God the Son bore them for you and received God's wrath against your sins in your place. So why would God have sent his Son to do that for you? Because he is holy and just, and his justice must be satisfied. And... He is merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love, and so he provided a way to deal with your sins so that he wouldn't lose you. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So how ought we to respond to such a God? Trust him. Friends, trust him. Tremble before such a holy, loving God and be transformed by his words. Fear the Lord, for that is the beginning of wisdom. Years ago, I listened to a message of a man who was transformed by the fear of the Lord. His name is Joseph Son. He was a Baptist pastor who served in Romania for many years while it was under the totalitarian communist rule. In the 1970s, in communist Romania, it was against the law to preach the gospel. It was against the law to be a Baptist pastor in Romania at that time. Yet, Joseph Son had a faithful ministry. So faithful that his ministry caught the attention of the secret police. And in nineteen 19- Seventy-seven. an officer contacted him and set up a meeting with him. He had been warned and, and, and threatened before, but he just kept preaching and just trying to spread the gospel, evangelize, and so this particular communist officer tried a different tactic against him. He offered Joseph a nice secular job, would pay him, would take care of his family, if he would only promise to never preach the gospel in Romania again. But Joseph knew if he turned down the, the, the offer, that he would end up leaving the secret police officer with no choice but to have him arrested and either be sentenced at least to a prison camp or at worst to be executed. Joseph knew this was the choice before him prior to going to that meeting. He had a wife and children to think about. What would he do? How how would he respond to this? What would you do if you were him? Joseph met with a man and without flinching, he turned down the offer. He said, I told the man I am ready to die. You said you were going to finish me as a preacher. I asked my God, and he wants me to continue being a preacher. Now I have to make one of you two angry. And I decided it is better to make you angry with me than God. Joseph son truly feared the Lord. He feared the one who is the most to be feared greater than the secret police, greater than the whole communist government of Romania, and certainly greater than the people in your social circles. And this set him free. This set him free from the fear of man, and he went on to preach the gospel unhindered for another four years in Romania until they finally had him exiled. They had to just get him out of the country. So brothers and sisters, if we truly... Know the Lord for who he really is. If we truly come to fear the Lord, to take him seriously, we will find all of our other fears begin to dissipate and we will have the courage and boldness to be a faithful witness for the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we hear these words and we tremble. We either tremble at knowing you as the judge of all and that we will face you one day. Or maybe we are, we are trembling because we know the fear of, of man is very large in our hearts. And we just don't know how that's going to change. So Lord, we cry out to you this morning, help us. Help us, O Lord. Give us eyes to see the reality of the truth of your words. And we pray that your spirit would empower us, Father. That we would more and more fear you above all others. And so that we would honor you above all others. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.